Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Nest on Clubhouse. My name is Jim Chu. I'm in San Francisco, California, and I'm the CEO of Untapped Global. Our job at Untapped Global is to connect international investors with entrepreneurs in frontier markets, including those in Africa and Asia. We host weekly discussions about entrepreneurship and investing, like today on Clubhouse. And once a month, we host pitch sessions with startups and investors from around the world. You can find out more and follow us at Untapped Global on Twitter and LinkedIn, and you can join our WhatsApp community by going to untapped-global.com and clicking on engage. Today's topic, it's a very exciting one for me, is African companies going global. I've come across so many great companies in Africa and with more products and services going digital on the cloud, distributed, et cetera. Uh, I see a great opportunity for companies in Africa and other frontier markets to access customers everywhere, especially the, the big markets like the US and Europe. We, see all, we also see a lot of companies uh, from places like Nigeria and South Africa incorporating their parent entity in jurisdictions such as the UK, the US, Netherlands, Singapore, et cetera, to make it easier to access global markets, but also to get around some of the re regulatory issues and make it easier and feel safer for investors to invest. So there's a lot to talk about here and hopefully we can fit it into an hour, but um, we will be also opening up the discussion to those in the audience who have experience on this to make comments and ask questions in the second half of the hour. So before we start the topic, let's introduce our panelists for today. Uh, Bob Skinsad, would you like to introduce yourself? No worries, Jim. Thanks so much. Um, I, I'll be a very small part of, of, of today. I'm, I'm sitting in, in London as, as the UK partner of, of Knife Capital. Um, and, and Knife has, has been a player in the South African VC space for a number of years. Um, Kit, my, my partner on, on the panel here, is, is Cape Town based. And Knife has, has predicated um, it, itself and its existence on the fact that, that, that African talent can go global and, and, and in fact has, has niched themselves of, of, of investing in businesses that after proving themselves and, and their innovation and their premise um, in a beachhead market in South and Southern Africa can, can either sell themselves to an international market or sell themselves to, to a partner or a strategic partner that, that wants to take them global and uh, have managed to prove it on, on a number of fronts. So, so we believe completely in in what you're doing here, Jim, and, and we think it's 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 high time that people realize how much talent and influence African uh, companies can have around the globe. And they don't have to move to the U.S. Uh, individually to do that these days, especially with so many digital services. You can have a truly global operation and still, um, uh, you know, with staff in in South Africa, with staff, with sales staff in, in New York, etc., to to make that happen. Absolutely, and and then we believe in 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 you know looking at the business models that, that take it the other way as well. You know, okay, currently cost efficiencies can be achieved in in African countries um, with world class engineers, and and like you said, other other um, access to to you know internet and and, and cloud services, um, or or just the ability to deliver from wherever you are in the world. You know, COVID was the accelerant that that proved to the world that this can happen quicker than we realized. Sounds great. Uh, and over to you, Kit. Oh, sorry, yeah, go. yeah. Thanks, Bobby. I mean, 
not going to really introduce knife as such, but um, but yes, I think the, we'll touch on some of the examples and case studies of the portfolio companies um, of, of knife and other VCs in South Africa and, and other African ecosystems like like, like Kenya and Nigeria um, to, to, to really hit that message home of the fact that African talent in the technology space is definitely is there. It is cheaper and it is in the knowledge economy very scalable. You know, um, we specifically look at businesses as a venture capitalist a company to that that have some traction, but that have hard currency revenue already a little bit, and we accelerate that. And that is a, a very enticing value proposition from an investor. And uh, Knife is doing quite a bit with um, you know, helping local South African companies uh, go overseas as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we 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 ourselves actually exported. I mean, the the reason why we've got some of our team, Bob Yeben uh, Davy sitting in Jersey, Bob Yeben sitting in London, is because we ourselves got some family investment from UK-based family offices. Um, basically exporting and creating soft landings in, in Europe for, for some of our businesses, not that everyone wants to go to Europe necessarily, but it is more that international mindset and the fact that you have many things to consider, which I'm sure we'll touch on in this, in this, in this chat, around intellectual property structuring, et cetera, et cetera, you know, where eventually you have a, a large job creation base and a large developer base and, and, and that in Africa, but um, you have global reach in terms of sales, sales channels, um, clients, you know, agencies, and, and business. Yes, I'm very, very excited to talk about legal structures on this call. Um, well, jo joking aside, I, you know, I think um, that's a major driver, regulatory issues and obstacles and having the right jurisdiction for investors. Well, great. Thanks for joining us today, Kit. Um, and then we also have on the other side, on the entrepreneurial side, we have Alpha Bumira. Joining us from Jakarta, Alpha. Hey, uh, okay, so thank you very much, Jim, uh, for your wonderful welcome. Uh, I wanna say, I guess in, over here, it's about 11 p.m. Uh, Indonesian time. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's a, I think it's a very kind pleasure to be with you guys tonight and just here to learn and share perspective of uh, what's happening in the region uh, in respect to, you know, foreign investors or companies on the continent that wants to set up here in Southeast Asia. So uh, what am I doing? So I, I, I moved here from New York. Uh, I used to live in Brooklyn, but of course, born and raised in Zimbabwe. Uh, so yeah, I've been in the US for 20 something years and uh, decided to come to Southeast Asia. So in Southeast Asia, I'm building, uh, building ProSpark. Uh, ProSpark is a learning platform uh, to train, rescue and upskill the workforce. Uh, here in Southeast Asia. Our main target market is Indonesia and also, and also the Philippines. Uh, we have uh, in this journey for about two and a half years now, uh, we now have some major clients in the region, including Go Gojek, one of the biggest super apps here in Southeast Asia. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, and uh, as we speak, uh, we should be uh, we should be completing the signing of our seed round uh, in the next uh, eight hours. So that's why maybe tonight is going to be, you know, drinking all night and partying and celebrating. So I, we have, I'm we have, sorry. I thought you had already started on that one. No? 
just a little bit. I wanted to go through this session after that, and I'll go back to party. <laughs> yeah, so we're very excited into the, the next stage of ProSpark. Uh, I think it's this is a great step forward for us. Uh, you know, of course, you know, raising capital and trying to grow the business during pandemic has been a challenge here in Southeast Asia. But we're very happy uh, to, uh, to welcome a new set of investors uh, who believe in our vision and our mission with what we are trying to do within the professional development gray area, which we are really targeting in Southeast Asia. So happy to be here, uh, happy to share my perspective uh, of what's happening in, uh, I guess, US, but mostly in Southeast Asia, since I'm based in Southeast Asia. So I can talk about setting up business in Singapore. I can talk about Indonesia. I can talk about Vietnam. I can talk about uh, Philippines, since we have operations across the region. So. Uh, thank you, Jim, Pop. Thank you for thinking about me and excited to be part of this uh, of this panel. Thank you, bros. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, so let me just get make sure I understand. So, so you're from Zimbabwe. Um, you started the company in New York. Is that right? Yeah. So, so Prospark was born and raised. Uh, I guess, I guess the whole idea was in Brooklyn. I used to live in Brooklyn, New York, uh, straight in Best Buy. Uh, so when, when I came down to visit my brother for about a few days in Singapore, uh, then when I went back to US, I was like, man, I think I need to go back in, uh, you, know, you know, where should I build a company? So, you know, this whole prospect momentum started on my desk in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and say, you know what, instead of building this in, in, in the United States, I think I'm going to take, you know, like the leap of faith, and I'm going to, you know, move back to Southeast Asia and build this, you know, within the region. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the idea and the concept, you started on a balcony in Thailand, in Bangkok, over a couple of drinks with my, my buddy. And what we started to see is a lot, like a lot of gaps in the market. But of course, in terms of, you know, strategy execution of how I was going to do it, you know, it was back in New York, in Brooklyn, over a, an interesting experience. And then I decided, instead of setting up my company, in, I mean, I have like a, a setup in, in the US, like a prospect sales office, but we decided United States is not our target market. We don't want to play in the market. The market is already saturated. I guess the market is a little bit boring for us for now, but we really wanted to do something in the emerging markets. And that's why we decided to come and set up the holding company in Singapore. So all the investments go through Singapore and the capital is deployed across, you know, Vietnam, Philippines, and also mostly Indonesia, since Indonesia is, our, is our, what you call like our mother, brainchild market as, as of now. Got it. Well, thanks for the explanation. Um, thanks for being here. And we also have Christoph as well, who really plays both sides, both as an investor and entrepreneur. Christoph, would you like to provide a little bit of uh, intro for yourself? Yeah, sure. So maybe relevant to the topic today is the fact that I'm originally a French entrepreneur, uh, came to South Africa as part of a management buyout deal coming out of a corporate. And after the exit, in 2009 um, became an entrepreneur in the tech sector. Today I run a um, technology company called Metis, which operates in various African countries and in Europe. So, um, and we have a, a seed fund called Africa Rise Ventures, which has a, a number of portfolio companies, one of them being Africa. In a, um, that, as, as, as Lundi, Lundi just said earlier, we, we launched an interesting uh, report today uh, to try to analyze the different models we have uh, on the continent and um, to just try to tell the story beyond all these numbers. We keep on getting bombarded by analytics, but what's really going on? What are the stories, you know? 
And so, yeah, and maybe the fact that I'm French and I'm very connected to the French tech ecosystem, which has seen rising success this past 10 years, can talk maybe about scaling out of Africa into continental Europe in countries like France and things like that. And, and what, are, what are the initiatives around building bridges between, between African and, and European tech ecosystem? Yeah. And so in your portfolio, how many companies have gone global or have uh, gone from Africa to the US or European markets? Question to everyone or just to me? Great question to you in your portfolio. Oh, look, um, you know, what is global? I mean, I'd argue that global, you know, there's different global. I think you have, you know, companies can have success at a local level. I mean, look at Yapichef, you know, they just exited um, a couple of weeks ago and it's a great deal for the South African ecosystem, but it's a local deal. The company didn't cross the Namibian border. They used to have that joke, you know, uh, customers ordering from Namibia and they said, you know, fortunately we don't deliver there, but if you come to the border, we'll, we'll hand over the product over the border. <laughs> Wow. They never went global. I, I, I say, you know, it's probably a pity. I think Yopichev could have gone in various countries, but it wasn't a brand that was going to go in, in, in Zimbabwe or Nigeria. You know, I think it was um, a brand that could have gone in, in other types of markets. Um, so then you, you can have success at a regional level. I mean, if you get Flutterwave, they're really a company very strongly anchored in, in West Africa. I mean, they're trying to go Pan-African, but they're really, really West African at this point. And, and, and then, you know, you have the global play now, you know, you know, you'd say Jumia probably wouldn't go global, but they are obviously have a Pan-African focus. Uh, I think a company like Aerobotics uh, is interesting because they, 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 can, they can start in South Africa, explode in the US and then go in many, many countries. But in our own portfolio, I mean, we're much, much more modest. You know, we, we really try to, we have a venture studio model and we try to invest in really, really early stage entrepreneurs. We have an incubator in South Africa. And so in our portfolio, we have companies that are mostly focusing on the, on the, on the South African market uh, in, a, in a FinTech space or, or in an energy management space. Um, and, and obviously we have players like Africa Arena, which is really kind of a Pan-African play, uh, but it's obviously not a, a core tech enabled company. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously through Africa Arena, we see a lot of stories and I think, you know, Knife has, has a lot to, to talk about, I think, with the amazing companies like Data Profit uh, or Quicket, you know, which are going, I think Data Profit is a bit like aerobotics, could go on a global play. Um, probably Quicket is more uh, with an African focus for now, but, you know, could go and compete with Evan Bright. Hey, kid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I, I think, you know, bottom line, what I'm saying is that I think what's really important is to keep in mind that global is not the ultimate thing. I mean, I think you, you've got to define your own metrics of success and you got to grind and focus on that. And it can be local, like a Yopi chef. It can be a regional, like a Flutter Web, even if I'm sure they want to go global, um, but it might be tough and, and so forth. So. Also, I think that might be, that's a good intro to perhaps one of the first questions is what's the value of going global? Uh, you know, there are a lot of the companies that focus on local regional markets, as Christophe mentioned, but what is the value of going global? Do you get higher valuations when you go global? Are there better exit markets? Why, why are some of these companies doing that? Are there better customers? Uh, question open to anybody. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe I can, I can jump in there from a, 
pure South African market, and there's obviously different different elements of different ecosystems in, in Africa, but our ecosystem or, or our target market is quite fragmented, you know, as a, as a country, specifically in the B2C space. It is a, is a, it is a, is a very unequal society, you know, who do you focus on as, as, as your C? And ultimately, there are amazing businesses that, that really can, can go broad into their customer base, like Sweet South, which, uh, which sort of does you know, domestic worker matching, job creation, all those types of things. And while that business might have a very large target market in South Africa, other businesses, um, like you know, Christoph mentioned data profits, you know, AI for manufacturing, um, you know, the manufacturing industry in South Africa is only so so big versus Germany versus the US. The most, you know, so we're currently setting out offices in, in Detroit. Um, you know, you, you have to look at that. One of our, our very successful, and we've exited that business success stories in our portfolio with a company called Flightscope, um, as an example. What they did is micro radar, Doppler radar um, technology for, um, you know, which, which they use to track projectiles and, and mainly applied to sports. So you basically have this device, hit your golf ball and it tracks where the golf ball, what's going to go, analytics, all that kind of stuff, as well as tennis, as well as baseball. Now, the, the golfing equipment market in South Africa is, is non-existent, basically, well, versus, you know, customers like Dick Sporting Goods in the US versus, you know, Europe and, and all that. So, but that business is a global business, but the assembly and, uh, and the R&D and everything is happening in Stellenbosch. So, so there's many of those examples of why do you go global? Well, basically, some markets in Africa and specifically South Africa is the total addressable market is A, way too small or B, sometimes even non-existent. You know? and, and maybe this is the last, the last example before is one of our portfolio companies that we exited to Uber Eats was a, a restaurant online restaurant on online ordering business called um, order talk and when we looked at the business from investment perspective it's still very much a seed round and um you know they did you know online ordering technology point of sale integration all that kind of stuff scheduling and um really looking at they, they, they were only, at that stage only really in south africa it made one or two clients in the us and and looking at a, a typical restaurant chain or, or even in, in South Africa you'd have to get KFC or McDonald's online to, to have 400 stores I think you know in um, in the US you might get in Texas you might have an unknown restaurant brand that have 400 stores which is the, the equivalent of so basically said we'll invest in you guys but we're immediately going global so ultimately that that business exited to Uber Eats with basically no South African clients but run the development team out of South Africa. And in that, in that situation, how much of the operational staff, if you will, um, was in South Africa versus uh, where your customers were? I guess I'm trying to understand how much of the product itself was based out of, based out of Africa. So it depends from company to company, but um, if, if I just use those two examples, which are, which are two polar opposites, the, the one example, Flightscope, which is the Doppler radar business, is still, I mean, the, the majority of staff is sitting in Stellenbosch in, in South Africa. The assembly is happening here. It's just cheaper to, to ship the to ship product over to, to the US and do transfer pricing on that. The R&D office is here. So, so everything still happens out of, out, of, out of South Africa. 
except for the sales offices in Florida, because that's where all the golf courses are, and then the tennis businesses in, in the UK, because we have the Wimbledon contract and, and a few other things to, to, to do, look at the, at the speed of ball and line calling and scoring and that kind of stuff. So let's say 80% of the staff is, is in South Africa and 20% is sales, sales staff and, and maybe some, some yeah, maybe business, business development and, and those type of channels in the other countries. The other example, Order Talk initially was 100% staff in South Africa, but as we developed over the years, um, it made more sense for, for the development team to actually move to the US. And that was more of an intellectual property um, play. And I, and I know we're not quite in the structuring question yet um, than, a, than, than a strategic play from a sales perspective. But that business over time was 80-20 the other way around, you know, where mainly, mainly the support staff and some of the developers were back in South Africa because of the time zone difference. It's quite nice to have a, a development team in, in the daytime in South Africa and uh, in the nighttime in, in the US. Um, and um, yeah, and the other way around. Gotcha. So, so a lot of the, the two examples um, you're giving, a lot of it was the, the intellectual property, the, the kind of the uh, intellectual development that was um, um, in, in, in South Africa, whereas, you know, the customers and servicing the customers tend to be overseas in the markets where, where um, you know, that market is, is, is largest and most robust. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, we've got other, other, other opinions from the panelists to, to weigh in here, yeah. but just, just to conclude, your, to answer your question, why, to, why do you go global? Well, first and foremost, I mean, a successful company needs a kick-ass product it needs a large addressable market and a team that can execute that awesome product into that market. Now, problem one is the large addressable market, specifically B2C, in some South African markets, but just not there, um, even also B2B. Second reason, and you touched on it, valuation. Um, if you look at some of the exits to trade sales to strategic partners, if you start, start grabbing attention in, 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 in dollar-based exit markets, it's better than, than rand-based exit markets. You know? Yeah, so I'd like to talk about that for a bit. Um, you know, I, I've heard quite a few times from folks. Yeah, you know, when you when you go from a local South African company, for example, to to be a U.S. company, uh, valuations jump significantly, not just you know twenty thirty percent, but uh, multiples. So, and you alluded to some of the reasons, but you know, how much of that really is the potential for? investors to see an exit such as an IPO or an M&A in the US, or how much of that is simply that, um, you know, the, the standard valuation for uh, a Series A company is higher in the US, or is it both? And this is for anyone on the panel. Well, I can talk quickly about our experience there. Um, you know, we, we've incorporated a couple of our portfolio company um, in outside of Africa, uh, in France, for example. Uh, one of the reasons was that it's, you, you got a much better access to um, a cert certain class of investor, particularly in early stage. So you, you have more liquidity in early stage fundraising, one. And second, mm -hmm. the, the valuation metrics are much more favorable. I mean, if, if you invest in a, in, a, in a company that has euro as the denominating revenue currency incorporated in a European Union country, even if 80% of the revenue is in Africa, that, that's the case of our Pay Genius um, fintech company. Um, I see Sebastian, the CEO, is on the, is on the audience. Um, yeah. So the, the, the company uh, is, is headquartered in Europe, 
but 80% of its activity is in Africa. Um, it offers us a, a lot of uh, benefit in terms of um, using some of the incentives available in Europe, in France, for example, on R&D. Uh, you could have access to that, but also the, the higher metrics on valuation, typically at the moment, you're running on 10 to 14 times EBITDA level in, a, in, in, in Europe, for example, and it's, it's much harder when you're in South Africa or in, you know, uh, in other African countries to, 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 to talk about this, this type of metrics. I, I think this, this is also why in the, in the research report we've just concluded, we see amazingly, for example, that a fintech in Kenya is on average valued twice as much as in South Africa. Mm. Why? Because for investors, it's much uh, easier to uh, invest on a, or acquire a Kenyan incorporated fintech company than it is to do so in South Africa, because South Africa has all this uh, IP, uh, very stringent regulation and so forth. So just simple as that, the impact yeah. of regulation on, on, on So let's valuation. talk about regulation. I think regulation is, is quite an interesting topic. I mean, uh, I, I, I invest fairly actively in Africa and I would say over half, no, not even more than that, over two thirds of the companies I invested in are domiciled in either the US, the UK or the Netherlands. I find that very interesting. Is that purely a regulatory issue or is it an intent to sell to customers in those markets as well? Um, Go ahead, Bob. Cool, thanks, Jim. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to defer to Kiet here because, because I think there's, there's two parts to this, this, um, this answer. I think one of the things I just want to mention um, on the back of what, what Christoph said about those valuations and, and I've, I've received um, the Africa Arena report and I was listening in earlier and it's it's absolutely outstanding so well done on the great work there from your team but um yes. Jim th there's also there's also a, a a perception that you have to factor in here you know you if you if you look at a fintech valuations um and and I know the guys have accounted for it in in terms of of um numbers but you know Africa is 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 a, a a great unknown to a lot of people around the world and you will have seen it Jim you know emerging markets are are treated slightly differently you know um kenya mm -hmm. with fintechs and nigeria for that matter as well have got valuations which which are, are eye-wateringly expensive at the moment but but it, it it's probably following a good trend in terms of or it's following an international trend i'm not sure about good but it, it's certainly good for the entrepreneurs which I'm, I'm delighted about but you are also competing on a on you, you're throwing apples and pears together because Intra-Africa, let, let's just say outside the South Africa border, a lot of the DFIs and the impact funds are a lot more active. And, and the deployment of funds, the, 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 the metrics for deployment of funds are, are very different to a, a pure VC play. So, so a VC that says, hey, listen, I need a 30% IRR to, to make my return on my money. That's what I do for a living. I'm going to look at your business and I'm going to go, hold on. Um, you are saying that because this is, um, you know, let's just say affecting economic employment or economic uh, inclusion, um, it's okay to deploy money at a valuation that's completely scary because the impact funds are doing that. Now, you, you, you're measuring two completely different business models with each other. And I think, I think somewhere in the middle there is a confusion about Africa. I, I think we have to live in the space of conscious capitalism. We, we absolutely want um, investment in the entrepreneurs and the entrepreneurial endeavors and, and, and the businesses that are stimulating the economy from the bottom up. 
Um, and that's where I think VC plays. But a, a case of just handing out dollars because dollars are, 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 a, um, are something that you're given by, by governments because they feel that Africa you know, needs to be given, skewing the market, I think that's a big problem. And, and, and I think you know, the, the, the crossover, crossover for me is, is how we address that. Not, not necessarily stopping it, because obviously you want to address the problems themselves, but how do you merge traditional good VC and you know, impact investing? And, how, and, and somewhere in the middle, I think the Africa answer lies. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very positive about it, because I think we'll get there. FinTech and, and let's talk about like um, uh, sort of early access um, wage businesses, which we've been talking to um, over the last couple of years, and I think the model is outstanding. You know, get the stop the the big businesses from from benefiting from um, the interest paid on on staff. Get, get it out to the people, and 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 get them to be able to not go to loan sharks and 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 people that are going to make their lives a misery, and by releasing their money earlier in the month or on a daily basis or or whatever is good for both, but but add to it the education of the people. That is brilliant. But you can't then say, okay, but now you can only manage it like a VC because the valuations, they just never touch each other. Gotcha. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, any other perspectives from Kit or from Alpha? I mean, from your fundraising, did, did it help to be looking at a global market or a Southeast Asian market uh, in your fundraising? Yeah, no, I think this is a very interesting discussion, right? Uh, I think it's uh, it was a very good uh, point. I was listening to Bob and Christoph uh, with their perspective. So if, okay, I think, I think if you look, for example, in a Southeast Asia market as a perspective, if you're focusing on a country as huge with a big consumption like Indonesia, you don't need to, you need to go global to get a bigger valuation. You got companies in, in, this, in this market like Tokopedia, like Bukalapa, Gojek, they're all big unicorns already in Southeast Asia. I'm sure you all heard that most likely Gojek is gonna merge with Tokopedia to create a massive giant between e-commerce and also a direct sharing services. So I think, yes, I agree with Kit. It all depends with, the, with, with your TAM. It depends with the local consumption. It depends on the size of the scale, you know, what that market has to provide you. So you don't have to necessarily think just to go global before you really define and conquer what you can conquer within your, uh, you know, within your initial target market. Our strategy is quite simple, right? We are focusing on Southeast Asia, although right now we've already started to do things in Nigeria. We're looking into Nigeria uh, lately and also Kenya. Uh, but of course, our growth strategy is going to be through like a distribution kind of, uh, of a network, uh, not necessarily going out there, opening offices everywhere because our investors will never allow us. But the way we set up Prospark in the region is, uh, is you know, of course, we have a holding company in Singapore. Absolutely no way I'm going to have a holding company in Indonesia. There's absolutely no way I'm going to have a holding company in the Philippines because, you know, those are very complex markets, complex government systems, uh, or maybe nearly non-existing IP, you know, uh, IP, uh, IP rights uh, laws. So for me, the biggest risk for me to register my company in a country where everything is around the gray areas, the regulations are not well-defined, data privacy laws that uh, don't even exist, that's a big risk for us. So we chose to go to Singapore because pretty much for obvious reasons, if you're in Asia, typically you're holding companies in Singapore or you're actually in, 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 you know, in Hong Kong. So when you raise capital, typically in Southeast Asia, 
a few of our investors uh, right now in this round. I've invested in Vietnam, investors from Indonesia, I've invested from Singapore, uh, investors from Malaysia, and also I've invested from Europe and also from the, from, uh, from the United States. Uh, that was my first time actually to get uh, a VC fund from the uh, United States joining us in this round. But what we see what's happening for us is typically the, the, the let's say, even I was talking to some of the VC funds uh, from Africa, I won't say their names. Uh, they want me to keep their names private. Uh, not a lot of people really understand the dynamics of Southeast Asia market. But if you look at Southeast Asia trends, there's a lot of similarities with what's happening in Nigeria. I know we've been talking a lot about AFE, you know, flutter wave. There's a lot of you know, invest, investing in fintech. Is this the next biggest thing? Is it the next biggest bubble? You can actually see the similarities between the Indonesian market and also in Nigeria. Indonesian market was a big surge in investing in fintech. Every fintech coming up was getting funding. Every fintech was coming up, oh, $20 million raise, $5 million raise. They closed the C, they closed the Series A at a fast surge. But what we see happening in this market is there's a big consolidation. There's actually fintech companies that are actually failing. Number one, they cannot get the license from OJK, some of the regulatory bodies in Indonesia and some other countries. Number two, they can they just grow so fast to the point that the pandemic hits and then the B2C, there's a lot of defaulting. So, so, so I, think, I, think, I think in this market, uh, I can only tell you straight up, if you are, in, uh, if you are if, uh, as, I, as I work with some other people back, you know, back on the continent, it's not easy for you just to say, I'm in South Africa, I'm in Zimbabwe, where I was born, and I'm just going to move to Indonesia and sell the product. But these markets are absolutely different. Culture-wise, the complexity of doing business, understanding how things flow. This is Indonesia. It's a different animal on its own, right? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's literally 99% Muslim country. There's a different ways of doing things. You know, the, the way you set up the local in infrastructure of the local company, how it's, it needs to be tied to the holding company in Singapore, it's a different animal. You need a local partner. The complexity of finding even a local partner is even, it's a different animal. So, so I, think, I, think, I think for us, what we've managed to do is, you know, when we, when we came in, I spent all my time traveling across the region, right? Bangkok, uh, you know, Ho Chi Minh, Hanoi, uh, Jakarta, you know, Manila, Singapore, trying to understand exactly how these markets are, are built and how are they different. From, if I fly from Jakarta to Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, it takes me about two hours. If I fly from Jakarta to Manila, it takes me about three and a half hours. But let me tell you something, Philippines is a different, completely animal compared to Indonesia, even if they're only three hours away. So, so, so there are some challenges in the region. But I think for us, what we've managed to do is to first our, our pre-seed round, our, 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 how can you say, a vote of confidence. We had to anchor ourselves into one country, which was Indonesia. We had to focus. And we're still focusing on Indonesia, even though we're now selling in Vietnam. We're also now selling in, in, in the Philippines and also looking into selling in Nigeria, right? So, so that also helped. But now in this round, we've managed to expand our wings now getting capital from Europe, getting capital from the US, and also actively looking to get capital you know, from, from other countries uh, which are still pending. So I think for us, uh, being part of the holding company in Singapore, right? of course, I looked at uh, Cayman Islands too far. That's not going to work for us. But I think Singapore is a great country to, to, to set up your, uh, your, your company, right? because in terms of, you know, of course, uh, you know, data laws are well defined. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's IP, you, know, you can register IP. You know, you copyright off your information there. So it's, 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 it's a safe heaven, right? 
And every investor from any in the world, whether they hear Singapore, they're willing to invest. They hear Hong Kong, they're willing to invest. So I think if you're in Southeast Asia, if you want to move your business from Africa, you want to definitely move into the Southeast Asia market, I advise you to register your IP. I mean, to register your company in Singapore, if you can, if you want to locally raise within Southeast Asia. If you have a, if you have a holding company in, in Cayman Islands, holding company in, in Rwanda, and you want to move your, 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 your product and open up a PT in Philippines or Vietnam, if you want to raise capital in Southeast Asia, it's going to be very difficult. That's just the way it is, right? Because of culture and trust and things like that. So that was, that, that's our, our, our little bit of experience. No, thank you for that, Alpha. Very, very useful. And um, just as a note, uh, we are in the second half of the hour. So if you are in the audience and would like to share your comments, experience, or have questions for the panelists, or just overall, please feel free to raise your hand and join us. And we have um, Sebastian, uh, who Christoph referred to earlier, has joined us as well. We'd love to hear your experience as an entrepreneur working in both the European and African markets. Sebastian? Yes, hi. Um, thank you for inviting me to, to this panel. Um, I'll just offer my perspective um, in terms of having started a company in South Africa and then raised some investment in, in, in France in particular. Um, I'd say, as Christoph said, the, the valuations are, are definitely better in Europe. Um, uh, and I think the, what I've experienced is that is that um, the investors in Europe really focus on whether you can grow or whether you can grow your company straight from South Africa into the rest of Africa at an early stage. So very often I've been asked, have you already managed to get out of South Africa? Um, so their focus is, is pretty much straight away on African expansion, even if uh, locally there's still an opportunity in South Africa. The, the, the second, uh, the second point that um, I wanted to highlight is, even though the valuation were better in, in Europe and, uh, and the pool of VCs is, is much uh, bigger than in, uh, in South Africa, um, I found that particularly with the French investors, um, there was a lot of, um, uh, how can I put it? A lot of um, the need for education around the southern part of Africa. So the French investors are very good in Francophone Africa, but in Anglophone Africa, it's another story. So even though the, the capital was there, it needed a lot more convincing in terms of coming all the way down to the, the southern. So familiarity with the markets. Um, um, yes. Familiar and, and how comfortable they feel with the comfort and familiar with the markets. Correct. Gotcha. No, very, very useful. Jim, so thanks for just, that. Uh, another, yes, another thing that might worth consider is that, you know, we, we've had this great story in Cape Town of a company called Get Smarter, um, you know, which was one yes, of the largest exits out of this ecosystem. And, and, you know, what's interesting with this company is that it's really a company that was bootstrapped, actually couldn't raise any money for many years, um, started in 2008 by two brothers. And they really leverage on the low cost of delivery. You, you know, employing a lot of South yeah. African engineers and, and people working on their content. And, you know, started with local university, you know, local market, um, made some success, found their product market fit, still couldn't raise. And then, you know, started expanding um, to other universities and, and other uh, customer base. And, and eventually got acquired for $125 million. Um, my point often is to say that this potentially was a candidate unicorn. 
and they might have sold you know a, a little bit early but they were definitely uh, typically a, a business case of a company starting local and, and going really global really really fast leveraging on low cost of, of delivery in in africa also based on the same uh, you know time zone of the initial large customer because uh, the other aspect of it all, and I see that with other startups starting in Africa and growing in Europe directly, is that the corporate market is much larger in the US and Europe. So when you're in a B2B model, you, you, you cannot not consider that market and have an expansion strategy. Then the question is, are you better incorporated in Africa or are you, you should put your IP and your holding company in, 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 in another jurisdiction close to where your core market is going to be? Because that's that's also what, what I heard before from, from some of the panelists. You gotta get you gotta be close to your customer. If your largest market is in Europe, well, you gotta be drawn to Europe at some point. If your largest market in Africa, like Jumia or, or, or Flutterwave, yeah, you, you better you know keep your operations down here. So but the business model Absolutely. of scaling from Africa on a low cost of execution, get some investors from outside of the ecosystem and customers more so, definitely very powerful. And I think more more entrepreneurs should do that. Absolutely. I mean, what excites me quite a bit, and when I last, and, and thanks to you, Christophe, for the invitation to, to join you for the Africa Arena Conference back in November, what excited me about the South, Af South African market was uh, not just that low cost, because there are a lot of low cost places, but also the familiarity of South African entrepreneurs with the use cases and the needs of uh, American and European markets. And I think that combination is quite interesting because you, you essentially have an undervalued asset. And if they are able to move to a US domicile and really hit the US market, uh, they can be immediately worth a lot more. And so, um, as, as you know, and this is a, a bit of a plug for something that we're doing in May, uh, and then also in, in the fall, we are hosting investors from the US and other places to join us in Cape Town, March 13th, I'm sorry, not March, May 13th through the 15th to do a bit of a uh, VC and startup uh, tour to understand what the opportunity is. And we've set up a vehicle in the US to allow US investors to be able to invest in South African, what are essentially South African firms domiciled in the US and take advantage of the tax um, benefits of investing in a US C Corp, which is 100% capital gains uh, holiday. And so um, if, if you're interested in that, please feel free to contact any of us uh, or contact us at Untap Global. But I really believe in the thesis of certain African companies going global and seeing a major boost in valuation and uh, accessing different markets. So we have a bunch of other folks uh, who joined us as well. Raj, um, please, um, we'd love to hear your comments. Yeah, so um, hi, Jim. Hello, everybody. Um, Alpha, my, I owe you a response so my, to, your, to your pitch deck to me, so I haven't forgotten. Um, and I'll come back to you on that. Um, don't be too uh, late. Had, had... Don't, don't be too late. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's only, 24, there's only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> I'm, about, I'm about to sign in eight hours, so too late. You have to pay the, the legal amendment fee, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so I had, I had one question for everybody and, and a couple of observations. The question was, I mean, in fact, one of the my portfolio companies is actually looking at where to house its IP. And there are Delaware C Corp and they're looking at, you know, jurisdictions like Singapore, et cetera, to house the IP. And 
And I'm interested in, in people's perspective, whether you house the IP in a completely separate company, do you hold, house it in a, in a whole core, there are all sorts of tax and, and um, IP protection issues. I would say as a general rule, you should never house your IP in this jurisdiction that, well, maybe US, I don't know whether the US is the exception, but, but UK is not a problem, but you never ha house your IP in the same jurisdiction that you're operating in. For example, I know, for example, that it's not a good idea to house your IP in South Africa if you're a South African, South African company. So that's a question I had. And then and a couple of observations I had. One was, I think everything is everyone said that, you know, you always want to have a whole core in a, stuck in a jurisdiction that you're, that you're comfortable, familiar with and where you're trying to raise capital. I mean, I, I'm, I'm used to the UK jurisdiction. We have some tax advantages. That's, that's the Enterprise Investment Scheme and, uh, and EIS and SEIS where UK investors get between 30 and 50% of their investment back through a tax credit. So that's often very, very attractive for UK investors. Um, I've just done, done a round where, you know, basically if you're a non-UK investor in a UK company, you don't get the tax credit, but I'm investing and I'm getting effectively a 50% discount, but there's not all you can do. So if you're looking to, to raise capital and you can fit within EIS and SEIS, it's useful to look at the UK. I want to also pick up quickly on something else that Alpha said, which is kind of, Interesting that comparison between Nigeria and Indonesia that, you know, there were so many fintechs that they all started gobbling each other up and actually there was a lot of regulatory pressure. And I'm just wondering whether with all the excitement in Nigeria around Flutterway, Facetech as well, whether there's going to be some consolidation, whether there's going to be CBN in, in, interventions, already CBN has already intervened in terms of the crypto crypto uh, trading issues. Um, and, and I'll be interested in seeing that. And I think, but, but my final observation on the question that you have, which is that, you know, should you be looking beyond your market? I think, I mean, just to give you one uh, company that we just really recently invested in, it's, it's a company called FinAccess in Kenya, and they basically supply um, backend and front-end um, SaaS service to uh, microfinance institutions. And, and they've really captured that market. And, and whilst the, the temptation is to, is to go out and, you know, conquer Africa, conquer the world, I, I sense that it's too early. And I think it's always, where are you in the cycle, right? Because too early and, and there's, if there's enough juice left in your home market, is it really, does it really make sense to go to a different market? So I think it's one of those questions that th there's never one answer. It depends on the market, the company, et cetera. But I also think that whilst everyone wants to be Pan-African, everyone wants to be global, I think there's a lot of sense in the early stages companies to be totally focused on your own market, which you understand which you have contacts, which you have networks, et cetera, and not get too seduced by this idea of being a global company or a Pan-African company. That's kind of my two cents on that question. I guess it's more of a question about how big is your total adjustable market at the end of the day. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Great, thanks for that, Raj, uh, common question. Anybody like to uh, respond to Raj's comment? I think, um, uh, Jim, if I could just say something here is, is, is that, and, and, and not a lot of people know this, that, you know, I've, I've, I've connected with Roger, uh, Roger a, a few times and, and we agree, agree a, a lot on emerging markets and, and I've got tremendous respect for him as an investor. Um, and it's good to see you again. I, what I want to say is that, is that the quantifiable difference between even just rounds, you know, I, I, I was part of taking a, a, a Cape Town startup to, um, Silicon Valley for, I suppose, I suppose it ended up turning into a pleasure cruise because it was great to see some of the big names of, um, you know, 
the Sand Hill Road and 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 the nexus of of where VC has sort of come come from and and, and affected the world. Um, but you know the investment that these guys were looking at uh, would would probably have funded them for five years in South Africa and 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 wouldn't even have qualified for pre-seed <laughs> in Silicon Valley. And and I know you've you've actually you've experienced the same sort of thing. And and you know is the fact that that's happening adding to the value for Africa? Is it adding to the value for investors? You know, if, if you can get this, this, this jurisdictional investing right um, in, a, in a very sort of easy and, and strategic way, I, I think people would jump on board and say, hey, there's a, we've got a chasm um, of value that, that's available to us and, and let, let's just jump in. But you've also got to realize that, that you know, for someone to put $500,000, a, a wealthy qualifying investor in, Amer- in, in the States at the moment, you know that's seven and a half million rand. I mean that that's that's the the revenue of a of a of a good small to medium enterprise, and and the disconnect there is is something we've we've actually got to address. We've got to say, look, you know, let's 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 make sure we jump over that chasm because it, it's not going to help the investor in South Africa then to say, okay, cool, I'll take you know fifty or or a hundred five k checks. From people in America who can't actually help me with my my journey because I'm desperate for the money, um, as opposed to you know looking and 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 going the distance. And I love the example of of the Get Smarter guys going the distance, bootstrapping, you know, building the business, getting to a place where actually you, you've now got something that you could take on later on into into um, you know America or, or EU or, or UK because you've got a better business. And, and it's just sometimes, I think there's an educational bit that we miss out on for the entrepreneurs as well. Great, thanks for that, Bob. Hi, um, Jim, may I jump in? Yes, please, Omar, if you have something to address specifically to that comment, yes, please. Um, it is, but also addresses your comment as well in terms of uh, companies going global in general. Um, so I, I just, just wanted to give a little bit of my background. So I'm based in Nairobi. And my experience prior was a VC investor, minority women-owned businesses in the U.S., uh, worked in tech M&A in Silicon Valley, and got exposed to investing in emerging markets at the IFC. And since that time, I've been in Nairobi since about 2015, uh, working uh, now to build out a genomics company, which is addressing precision health across the continent with a tie-in with the global African diaspora. For those who know the sector, um, it is the case that it, this is important because of the lack of diversity in clinical trials worldwide, which has implications for drug discovery, development, how um, our bodies react to drugs, et cetera. Uh, basically predictive analytics for, for healthcare and also with a, a, um, a private equity fund that invests in healthcare in, in South Africa. Said all that to say is that my perspective is one that's been informed by uh, a lot of different markets and experiences and here have helped uh, with various ecosystems of entrepreneurs. I've been affiliated with 500 startups to uh, other accelerators here in Kenya. Um, here, here's my contribution. This may have been said, I came on about five minutes ago, so excuse me if, it, if it's been said. Um, it's a, I'm stating a case, but also making an ask. The case is this. As we think about African companies scaling uh, into places like the mark, uh, into America to increase their valuation through acquiring greater and larger customer markets, uh, what we are seeing now 
uh, is that one of the keys that's left on the table is connecting these companies to diaspora markets. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are Israeli, Chinese, uh, Indian, and even Irish, and they all say the same thing. In our countries, diaspora really, really help transform things. Um, what we don't see in America is any structured support of African-American engagement with Africa. And we're doing that now ourselves. And we're seeing, for example, there's a shoe company here called Enda. And they've been on CNN. And they say, you know, our largest customer market in the world right now, export market is the US, larger sort of uh, segment within that market is the African-American market because of hip hop, um, shoe culture, shoes as lifestyle, not just from running in, et cetera, et cetera. So I just, my ask is this, is that we all consider that because this uh, diaspora engagement, the economic bridge has worked across the world. And I think there are some very complex reasons why like USAID even hasn't gotten behind this until now. We had an event last year, which we invited pension fund managers, um, tech investors, leading entrepreneurs, company VC investors, um, like Steve Case's shop in DC, Silicon Valley, and they finally got the message that they need to do better. And I just wanna lift that up as something that now should be part of our global impact concern, because for those, of my, those who are American like me in the US, this, this connection is the bridge to a greater economic justice. Because if we can get these companies and these entrepreneurs connected meaningfully and those in Brazil who are of African descent, Europe, et cetera, connected meaning, meaningfully to Africa, it changes everything, not just for the continent in terms of money, but tech transfer, access to new markets faster. But in turn, urban communities can be uh, transformed economically as well. And so I just ask you all to really think about that because unless we have, unless we had uh, a global impetus for the impact movement, we wouldn't be where we are today. And in Africa, those of you who are here, know that gender equality is a big, big issue here. And so this is the same sort of opportunity of our lifetime to make a lot of money, but also to balance out things economically. I'd I like to address that. Um, yeah, I'd like to address that uh, diaspora, the, the, the call to action, it's a very strong call to action. And it's interesting because I've seen it work. I've seen it not work, dramatically not work in the sense that there is a lot of promise, obviously, for diaspora uh, coming back or, or connecting different markets together. And, and, and in many cases, it's been, it's been you know, dramatic, right? Um, uh, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor Company, um, you know, basically all this entire conversation would not be possible without that company making uh, custom uh, semiconductors in Taiwan. Well, that was somebody who, who developed some of the skills around semiconductors in the US and then went to Taiwan and started this company. And the list goes on and on and on. So there are those instances, but in the instances where I've, I've seen the government try to get involved in getting diaspora to invest back in, in their home country, for example, and so on, I haven't seen that much success. And oftentimes it's, um, it's governments or an appeal to people to, hey, you know, go to Kenya or go to Haiti or go wherever it is, but they may not have the right skills to actually meaningfully contribute to that economy. They may not be investing in the right places. They may not have the background to provide that value add. So 
anyway, I, I, I don't have any specific uh, conclusion to this, but I think it can go both ways. I think it can be a lot of noise without enough substance, but there are some nuggets in there that can lead to tremendously impactful change. So right. can, uh, can, can, can I, can I just, just find that in 30 seconds? The re yes, reason why this is diff different is because I, when I say diaspora, I, although I highlight African-American, it's the contemporary and historical diaspora combined. So it's recent African immigrants who do have those local relations and local knowledge. But I think um, the best way I would respond to that and ask you to um, consider this, in Kenya, as well as most of the tech sector in Africa, I think Keith, you, you and I have met at a conference in South Africa, can attest is that <laughs> this model of expats coming to the tech sector, making money, growing businesses is working. It's just not working for black people, right? And so, they, so I, I, I think that there is a, there's a demonstration effect there, which is why I'm bringing this up is that there has to be, there has to be more balance in the ecosystem. And the diaspora that I'm speaking of has the same skill sets, if not more in terms of education, pedigree, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, who can come back now but the more is, it's more than just making money and uh, the next unicorn for most of us. It's about meaning. And when you, when you factor that into it, that's customers, customer loyalty to the, you know, one millionth, per, um, you know, times one million. And that's why I'm saying we got to tap into this because it's rational exuberance that's under tapped. And, the, and I think that there's enough evidence now in Africa for expats coming in and driving largely the tech sector, maybe not in Nigeria, but in most other places uh, that we have to say, wait a minute, can we be doing this better? It's not either or, but both and, that it also includes the African diaspora who have the same skill sets we see coming in and the same connections, but just aren't, aren't really connected. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for that, Wilma. That's a uh, very, very uh, passionate <laughs> call to action. Um, um, Thanks, kid. Did you did you want to make a comment on that, kid, before we go I, on? I, to yeah, I, I, I just want to Hello? make a comment about about meaning. I mean, that Wilma said, mm -hmm. and and sort of legacy building. And I mean, a lot of people on this call and in the audience here on this on this chat, it is actually about building an ecosystem and all those fluffy things. But it is uh, it is about activism and and really making sure that we actually build a legacy ecosystem for for entrepreneurs to come. And it sounds very ideal, idealistic, but it is what we are trying to achieve. And I think it hooks Indeed. on to what Wilma said about, about meaning and about it. It is specifically if people invest in entrepreneurs, especially people, angels that were entrepreneurs, they invest not only for the IRRs. All right. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. I mean, I think um, uh, mission-driven entrepreneurship or mission-driven investing um, I think ultimately it's healthier. That's what and I think. That's what you're saying too, Wilmot. Uh, and uh, we should we should encourage that. Um, and it's okay to be uh, upfront and clear about where our missions are. And I'm great for that. Hey, can, um, can I say something, Jim? Yes, please go yeah. to Kingston. Yeah, that's fine. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, cool. Pardon me. Oh, um, so yeah, uh, Wilmot. Oh, you just took the wind out of myself. You know, it's funny. I actually was born in Ghana. You know, I grew up, I spent about 20 years in Ghana. I've been in New York City for about, for about 20 years. So Kilimanjaro is exactly what we're trying to do in New York City, you know, with, with our tech startup, you know. Um, 
you know, have these um, connections in Africa or, you know, have all these connections with African-Americans in, in the United States. You know, all these experiences at Kilimanjaro, we started in New York City, you know, so that's what we want to drive at. You know, begin to tie the whole global, you know, African African diaspora community and the African community together, you know, through through, through our platform. You know, we just, we just you know, precede right now. So uh, it's really funny that you brought that up, but I want to touch base with the Alpha, you know, with Gojek, you know, what is the marketplace system like? You know, why is it successful, you know, with experience in the Indonesia, you know, if you could tell me on that. Uh, okay. Okay. So you're asking me why is the mock yeah, yeah, yeah. So, model so we're trying to do, we're trying to do something similar. If if because I feel like Gojek was built, you know, for the you know Southeast Asian community and it's a marketplace. So we feel yes. like there's something possible for the African diaspora and African community on a global scale for something like that. You know, so I'm saying like what are the nuggets in there that we could learn from as a startup to you know, to, to apply to what we're working on in New York City? Absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, well, first, you know, as I already articulated, Gojek is my client. So I signed my life away not to disclose much about what I know about their platform. <laughs> okay, because that's my client. Especially given that this is a live <laughs> show. So, plus, yeah. Plus, I managed to get a good valuation because of them. So, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Okay, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me explain uh, in the best way I can. And, uh, and hopefully... Uh, you know, I stay within within the right lane. Uh, what has really given companies like Grab and Gojek to be perhaps the, the best super apps in Southeast Asia? A couple of different things. I'll go back to what exactly, if I'm not mistaken, was Kit or Christoph. I think it was Christoph. Those companies they have stayed in their lane. Okay, what does that mean? They focused, right? right? Gojek, when you think about Gojek Indonesia, you don't hear about Gojek as Nigeria, as uh, Kenya, as uh, Egypt is all over the place, right? Gojek is, 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 is by the people of Indonesia, by Nadim, Nadim the founder, now the, the Minister of Education. It's Indonesian based, Indonesian founded, it's Indonesian driven. So there's some form of a sense of belonging and a sense of, uh, of, 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 of foundation that's rooted within the whole Indonesian culture with the whole Indonesian spirit. And part of that is the culture, okay? Uh, the Asian culture on its own, it's all about empowering their own people. I think one thing I've seen about these countries is this, right? I live in New York. I mean, technically I'm an American, but of course I'm Zimbabwean. Okay. I've, what, one thing you see, I, mean, I, I used to live in Brooklyn. How many homeless people do you see in Manhattan going uptown actually to Harlem? Thousands, that's a lot of people. When you come to this part of this world, you don't see a lot of homeless people. In Jakarta, I have never seen a homeless person. Not to say they're not there. I'm sure they're there, but you don't see that. There is a sense of culture of I am my brother's keeper. I guess we call it maybe Ubuntu, back home in South Africa. Uh, there is a sense of belonging. There's a sense of supporting. There's a sense of community that's run so deep, which is sometimes very hard to see in modern or our, in some African countries, because there's so much individualism, so much competition that actually divides us among, among ourselves. But in terms of strategy-wise of execution, right, Gojek really knew exactly who their consumer, okay? They zeroed down in understanding, like for example, Indonesia is 280 million people. 70% of those people are below, 70, uh, are below 30 years old. Uh, and, 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 and between you know, 18 to 25, that's the fastest growing middle class in the country. Uh, people are spending, 
It's a liberal Muslim country, a lot of resources. You know what we need to do? We need to improve logistics. People need to get from A to B. The biggest nightmare in Jakarta, if you've been to Jakarta, traffic congestion. A place where it takes you five minutes can take you two hours. Why? Well, we're just gonna give you a motorbike. Boom. Okay. Next, next thing, you got FinTech. So I think they knew exactly who's their consumer. That's okay. number one. Number two, they really ran behind the national uh, uh, pride of this is something of our own. We should support it. We should embody it. And let me finish off by saying this. If you see, the, the because right now it's a war between Gojek and Grab, fierce competition, right? Okay. Grab has been interesting this point because actually, one, one step back, Gojek now is about to go public. I'm sure you are seeing the news floating all over yeah. the place. I'm sure they're going to do like a special pep, uh, SPAC, well, special purpose vehicle, something like that, SPV, right? So, so, so they, what the Gojek did is strategically, they were not playing in Singapore, okay? They went to Singapore because, of course, going to uh, launching in Singapore, doing business in Singapore is going to drive up your valuation. Everybody knows it. There's no, there's no bullshit about it. It's just the way it is. And Gojek expanded to Vietnam. Why? Because they're getting ready to go public. They want a big evaluation. They want to list in, uh, in Indonesia with IDX and also want to list possibly in New York. So, and then Grab is a very fierce competitor. And Grab really is a Malaysian, Singaporean kind of entity, but it doesn't have like a home, 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 right? And Grab is fighting in Vietnam, fighting in Singapore. But what Grab has managed to do is Grab is more like very specific clientele with spe certain specific service, uh, you know, service deliverables. I can say also their tech platform is just, you know, outstanding. But Gojek is just massive scale in Indonesia, and Indonesia constitutes almost half of GDP of Southeast Asia. So I think, I think, I think if you had to ask me, forget about the tech stuff, there is a sense of having a home base. Okay. You are Indonesian, by Indonesia, let's support one of our own that is something that has made even Gojek one of the best super apps in Asia. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Jim Chu, thank Thanks. you for putting Thanks for that. And Thanks for that, Kingston. Yeah, yeah, so, so uh, we will continue the conversation just to let you know that we are past the hour. And so um, in case anyone does need to leave uh, speaking to the panelists, uh, feel free. Um, but wanted to pass it over to the panelists uh, for last words from you. And then we'll continue the, uh, the conversation with uh, Malik and um, Ike and, and others who have joined us. So um, some, some, and by the way, and you feel free to stay on if you'd like, just don't want to um, feel, make, you, make you feel obligated to stay. So any, any last thoughts on, on African companies going global? Bob, maybe, maybe Kate, 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 just a, sorry, Raj. <laughs> um, this, this is thought we touched on earlier, but in terms of the theme of African companies going, going global, Yes, it's possible, and yes, there's a lot more needed from a, from a funding perspective, but one of the things that we, uh, one of the panelists touched on it, but we actually starting to see as a thesis is once an African company starts going global and really start getting into that um, funding cycle of saying, okay, well, hang on, uh, there is substance here, there is, a, there is a sustainable, repeatable business model that can be funded, let's go for the funding round. Um, quite often than not, a strategic investor, as one starts really sniffing around the funding funding part of the universe, starts looking at this business and saying, hang on, for $50 million, $100 million, um, $20 million, I can just buy the whole company. So 
let's just do that. So, so it leads to interesting exits. I mean, the platform maybe gets smarter and exits too early, maybe fund them more exits. Maybe. And we, we at the moment, right tonight, negotiating a fairly interesting but modest exit by those numbers um, for, for one of our accelerator businesses. But it could be, a, it is a global business already on a small scale, and it could be a, a big one. But it's exiting because entrepreneurs are sort of just saying, well, let's just take money off the table and go. So I think what's necessary and needed is more funding from home soil. And it can, it can come from the diaspora, it can come from more funds coming here or at, at the growth phase. And as Jim said, maybe via Delaware type, type structures to actually fund these businesses to, to have the energy and the fuel in the tank to become global success stories. Because why are we not seeing them? Well, not because they're not there, it's because they get exited and consolidated in the process of growing because it's actually just too enticing to buy them. Because of the um, anemic uh, capital markets serving some of those companies, right? And just, you know, uh, you had a short plug. Um, I do want to plug again. We, we are trying to encourage more um, international investors, in particular American investors, to invest in uh, South African companies going global. And if you're interested in that topic and would like to join us in South Africa, please get in touch with us, um, untapped-global.com, and um, just uh, feel free to get in touch. Um, May 13th through the 15th is, 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 our, is our next uh, trip to South Africa. Okay, well, so with that, thank you very much, Kitta. Bob, Alpha, Christoph, any, any last words? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in quickly, Jim, and, and, and say thank you and, and, and cheers after that. I think one of the things I, I want to um, highlight is that, you know, we, we've spoken about companies going global, but it, it, it doesn't happen unless the ecosystem gets built. And, and you know, South Africa is, is quite genuinely 20 years behind the rest of the world. You know, we, we talk about different types of funding and, and Christoph and, and his team, we're, we're talking about where the money comes from. You know, because the money's got to come from somewhere for these businesses to go global. You know, that's the whole point. And and focusing on on Africa and parts of Africa is, is exactly what we want people to do. But we've also been very privileged because of the the interest in the ecosystem. We're starting to get, and it, look, it, it's slow, but slow and 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 steady is is probably the way we're going to go here. We we are starting to get institutional investors from South Africa's um, you know core economy to to understand that. The, the new areas of growth could well be VCs. They could well be um, entrepreneurial candidates who need funding. And, and, and it's not only going to be corporate venturing and it's not only going to be, you know, bloated um, exits, you know, individuals who've, who've left with a, with a gold watch and a, and a big bank account that then go back and put money into small businesses. It's got to start earlier than that. You know, we've got, I, I see, um, we've got a couple of people on, on, on this call. Um, we've had, been privileged to have an investment from the Mine Workers Investment Corporation. And, um, you know, they've been a, an outstanding traditional investor um, for a long, long time in, in, in South Africa, not necessarily in our VC space. But, you know, three, four years ago, they started looking at the space. They've, they've, they've swung, swung the, 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 the periscope, if you want, on, onto, um, you know, this, this little area, this, this, this little island that's going to become a, a continent, we hope. Um, and, I think, you know, kudos has got to go to the early movers, the, the, the vanguard people who are saying, well, you know, there's, 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 real, there's real hope and reform in, in making sure you make the right investment uh, in this space. And, and without it, you know, without knocking on those doors a hundred times over, we're not going to get it. We're just going to talk about, you know, what, what, what didn't happen and why we didn't go global, because there's not going to be enough 
money as as a as a as a percentage, you know, VC and, and small business doesn't get enough or to, to move the needle unless we get the institutional investment houses turning around and saying, okay, I will allocate a small part of my of my investment thesis to uncovering and and addressing the risk and, and looking at startup investing because because it's it's a it's an asset class that is underserved and and you know we're privileged to to have some investment from these guys I know Tato's here and he's part of their team and he listens into all these calls he I suppose he wants to make sure we we we're walking the talk that uh, that we that you know we we're in, ongoing with with them but I really think it's a it's a first step in the revolution that's coming. Thank you. And by the way, just as a final comment to, to what you're saying, Bob, you know, look, I, I'm sold, right? I'm sold on uh, African companies going global, obviously. And uh, in fact, we're, we're, we're intending to pull together a facility or a vehicle to bring hopefully a lot more American investors to South Africa. Yes. So with that, thank you everybody for being in this conversation. I'm going to drop off. Please feel free to come to continue the conversation. Thanks, Jim, and thanks for your work in this Thank space. You. Much appreciated. Uh, cheers, Jim.